This is Always Remember The Mod State Podcast And now, your hosts Alright, ladies and gentlemen Welcome back I believe this is episode 266 um, It's Friday night It's been a crazy It's been a pretty crazy week But also day yeah. Um, I think we're about an hour and a half behind and when I wanted to be done with this episode and a number of weird things happened. Well, let's just quit. <sighs> yeah. Why not? Let's do that's, it. That's it. There's no hope. That's it. Well, I agree. No, I'm just kidding. We're here. Um, I'm excited about this conversation because, um, I'm not entirely sure what we're going to talk about. So that's totally awesome. Um, but let us, before we get started, uh, do the pleasantries. So, as always, wherever you are listening on planet Earth, whether that is here in the United States or internationally, thank you for tuning in to this podcast. And as always, if you like what you hear here, head over to modstate.com for more op-ed and opinion pieces. So here we are. Just you and I, bud. No real agenda. It's kind of weird. It is. It's been a minute. We, we've <laughs> privately called it gunslinging. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when we were doing pretty high volume, I remember gunslinging a lot where it was like, man, we, we were, I think we were at some, there was at one point where we were cranking out three podcast episodes a week. And I'd like to get back there when pragmatic. I agree with you. Um, I largely feel the same way. It's a, it's very fun. I, I will say it is more difficult. I think to, um, I don't want to say remain creative cause that's not, that's not what it is. I think, you know, we're both working incredibly hard and I, I feel like so much of what's going on in the world today is, it is tough. I mean, because everything I brought it up on the podcast last week, it's, it's very hyper-partisan these days and it does make, finding things to talk about um, more exhausting because it's so dynamic in terms of how people feel about it. And, and so there's less of a, I mean, the debate has always remained cordial between us, but in order, you, you, you almost have to take uh, the, the loudest minority, which would be on the far right and left of the spectrum, and, and you, you have to almost take their voice seriously because it is the loudest, and it, it becomes exhausting um, sometimes. But I mean, you, you and I have talked about this. I, it was, it's kind of funny in retrospect at the time. It was a genuine concern, particularly of yours, that while with um, the Donald no longer in the White House, this is just going to become like not boring, but more boring. And it's been far from. But well, the reality is it's, it's difficult if everything is priority one, then nothing is. So that's where I think you're coming from with saying it's difficult to find what to yeah. hone in on because well, there's plenty to talk about. So, so that's a good thing. I, I'd like to start here because this is something I, I think is interesting. What, um, so I've been reading articles in the AP, um, CNN, you know, just trying to get across the spectrum. I, I'm inundated with Fox News uh, almost 12 hours a day at work um, because I've I'm got... <laughs> well, yeah. But my point is, you know, people or, or, or the media in general, and I think 
broadly given Biden's approval rating as of recent, um, they keep using words like multiple crises, Biden's crisis. And, and you see it a lot on Fox News, but you also see it in reputable sites like the AP, um, uh, Biden's multiple crisis. And I, I think what you brought up sparked this because you said, hey, remember, remember, and I do remember when I had said, you know, I, I look forward to the, the time in Biden's administration where I think I, f- I won't feel like there's a dumpster fire or I'm, I'm like unsure of how it, everything's going to go today because it's just so <laughs> crazy. <clears throat> right. But that was, I mean, that was a, a relevant uh, concern. It was, it was, it was well thought so, and it was genuine. So my question is, is like, cause I'm not a very partisan person. I don't pick, I'd certainly have my, um, what I think is objective reality and what I think should be, but a lot of that is philosophy. But like, I'm not, I'm not married to Biden in terms of he's my favorite president, but I just don't see the crisis of the Trump administration, the crises of the Biden administration as anything analogous. I think it's two different sets of crises. And, 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 but I think when you just say it's a crisis, that is used in some corners of the media to describe um, a sort of out of control White House. When I do think the administration prior was far more out of control. Um, you heard more about it for one thing. That's true, but you're hearing a lot about the buy. Bi- I mean, obviously, yeah, but you didn't the, get the same amount of leaks. Let's sure. be honest. Yeah, but there's they're professionals. I think they're professionals well, different than they were Trump professionals. Let's, let's be real. There were a lot of professionals in the Trump administration. They just weren't necessarily aptly suited for their jobs. Um, I, I think a portion of it is, too, confirmation bias, which you would refer to. And that is, and I'm not being contrarian. I'm not Fair anti enough. Biden. I always hope that the president of the United States succeeds. But I, uh, a friend of, a colleague of mine from work and I were talking about this last two days off and on that there's a lot of things that the Trump administration at large did or attempted to do. I mean, that I agree with, but the public relations messaging Mm -hmm. was awful. I mean, stop tweeting, close your mouth. I mean, we talked about, we've talked about this over the last four years of that guy's presidency was, it was missed opportunity after missed opportunity in terms of messaging. So oh, I agree and, with you. Well, yeah, with messaging, and there were some taken opportunities in terms of what actually happened. And also, I, I do, to a degree, as long as, as people like Chris Wallace are around, I do find some credibility in Fox News. Um, now, obviously, in full disclosure, let's be real, all time, I've probably, I'm, and I mean since we've met, have I sent you even 10 articles from there? No, uh, you're not a Fox Newsite. Um. Well, but I, I wouldn't say that they're not credible. It's just to me that they are the NBC of the right. Mm, I don't yeah, see much with the, distinction between Rachel Maddow and Sean Hannity. I'm going to be real. Well, yeah, but I, one of them does more damage than the other in terms of cultural. Uh, yeah, there's. Well, one of, I mean, there's one of only them, one Fox one of, News. One of them has. I just believe one of them is has been producing more misinformation surrounding the last 18 months than the other one has. 
Um, I mean, I guess, I mean, think about it. There's like what, three, four, five NBCs. There's one Fox news. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the much to do about nothing about, Oh, we've got Donald Trump's tax returns, that fiasco. Well, but, but it goes back to there from 05, so it goes back to my original question, right? What do the, you know, we, we use the same word crisis is the crisis of Joe Biden's administ- administration analogous to that of or similar to that of the Trump administration. The, I, and and the reason the reason I find it important is because we are we are beginning to see the president of the United States polls and favorability dropping. And there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of implications to that over the next year in, into the 20, into 2022. It, and, and apparently it doesn't matter. And it really doesn't matter no, whether I mean, or not, well, whether or not, matter, whether or not the crisis, the crises, well, that's a good question. I, you know, it, it ultimate, the, the president's approval rating, it, it ultimately doesn't matter whether or not it was analogous to the last administration administration's crises, but crises, but I feel like they're they're different. Um, I don't know. It's almost as if they're like real geopolitical issues. There's there's the there's like domestic issues. There's infighting in the Democratic Party. It wasn't uh, about spending money on a uh, hush money on a hooker. I, I'm just saying they're they're different. They're, the crisis right. are different, and it's a bummer to see. I mean, again, it's the president's own making. Uh, it, I, I'm not the president's advisor. If he's dropping in favorability, I hope that they do what they can do to correct it so he can be successful. Um, but, you know, I was just thinking, I'm like, damn. Okay, well, it, it's, this was certainly different four years ago in terms of the level of crisis. I wouldn't say that it's analogous in terms of content. It's certainly analogous in terms of severity. Okay, because again, you can say what you want to say, but even Politico said after al-Samani and al-Baghdadi, our enemies in, in Afghanistan, I think we call it, they're not sending their sons and, and their, their top hombres to blow themselves up, okay? They don't want to die. They were terrified of Donald Trump at that point. Because notice we went, what, 13 months without a UK soldier or an American soldier that got killed. So I'm not saying, I, again, I realize that, that Donald Trump signed the agreement that, that let us out of Afghanistan if he had been reelected. If he had been reelected, I want to underscore that for folks, then we were supposed to leave what, 31 May? I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say it would have not been the disorganized fiasco that we had of being promised that it would be anything but 1975 Saigon. Okay. So why did, where's your evidence? We're talking about a man who did what he said in this sense when he said, I'm going to turn the war effort over to the generals and the admirals. And when prompted, hey, we've got Al Salamani here, the Bear Baghdad Airport, and they left a Ford Focus size hole on the runway. Do you think it's my evidence is they didn't kill an American soldier for 13 months? I don't think we would have had. I don't think we would have been asking the Taliban for protection. Well, and that's not Fox News. That's Reuters. 
while we're trying to get Americans out. Right or wrong, I don't think it would have gone down that way. I mean, do you, do you think that? I mean, let's let's be real here. You brought this up completely different direction than what I thought we were going here. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 to be honest with you, I don't know because the leader. I don't know either. Look, the leadership is relatively the same. So, I I realize the leader at the helm is different, but you know they they are not military men. They would rely on the 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 uh, <clears throat> expertise of their uh, of that branch, the Department of Defense. But anyway, I did take this completely different direction. But I was just loosening 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 up. Hey, I got one for you. Mick Jagger walks into a bar. That's, that's that's good coverage, can, Nate. That's that's good coverage. Can you can you uh, can you guess what happens next? You tell me. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. You, you really a, want to depress me today, don't <laughs> he you? He has a beer, and then he leaves. So, folks, true story. Um, was it? It was North Carolina, I think, and it was recently uh, yes. that Mick Jagger. Uh, the if you don't know who that is, it would be a rock. Sir Michael Philip Jagger, a a a legend in music, um, one of the arguably one of the most successful rock bands. I would say uh, the antonym of the Beatles at the time was the Rolling Stones, <clears throat> a raunchier, more Delta Blues esque, uh cocaine sniffing marijuana smoking all right all right all right we get it rock legends um walks into a bar in north carolina orders a beer and no one recognizes him and he there's one picture taken of him i think in front of the bar which is probably someone that he was with and then he leaves and ironically uh i think there was he was they're they're having a concert and um some people had tickets to go to the show. So that is Mick Jagger walks into a bar. What happens? Absolutely nothing. And I, uh, why does Thank this, you for that. why does this, uh, make our podcast? Um, I don't know why it was because we were thinking about what we would talk about. And I told, or actually I sent you a story on, uh, over, it was over text about that exact thing, exact thing happening. And I'd asked you, do you think, that's a refreshing thing for him or is it just a joke or I mean, I'm, I, I do realize at the end of the day, we are all human, but it, it's hard to put myself into the perspective or the shoes of someone who has like that much notoriety. And I don't know. I can see that going either way in one sense. I'm sure it would, if I was somehow to fathom myself in the shoes, be, Wait, nobody recognized me? On the other hand, he probably enjoyed being able to go into a pub and, and have a beverage unmolested. You know, so um, either way, it's, it's still to me, especially with the passing of Charlie Watts, I mean, that's my favorite era. I wish I'd oh, grown dude, up in that, I mean, that time. Dude, next to like Elton John, that's, that's your band, dude. I mean, that's... Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, to be honest with you, Rolling Stones was a big thing we we bonded over uh, when we first met each other, talking about uh, <clears throat> Black and Blue and a number of those more obscure um, uh, albums. But 
Midnight Rambler. I mean, we, we jammed with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, we did. We did. Elton John, The Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, David Bowie. Uh, yeah. The, the Four Tops, Parliament. So, But at, I will say this. I will shed a bloody tear the day that Mick Jagger dies because, I mean, let's face it, you're still – we're talking about – and I'd love to hear the argument against this, whether you love the Stones or hate them, and I've met people that do on both sides. But they took it as far as it can be taken with the original members. Next year would have been their 60th anniversary. I don't think that's going to be broken. And look at the, the trends that they set, the different... I mean, think about my favorite Rolling Stones album. You brought this up. So, uh, but my favorite album of theirs is 1978, the album Some Girls. The big track from that that people know, the number one at least, was Miss You which they call it funk, but it's arguably disco. They also, exactly. They also did country. They did the song Beast of Burden that everybody knows. They also did two original punk songs. And then they covered The Temptations on the same album. Only they could have done that. You know, at that time. I'm, not, I'm definitely not arguing with you. I, I, I was thinking... I mean, I grew up on some of their old, like, first albums, and... So what's your favorite? Um, I'm pulling up my iTunes right now. Um, Don't cheat. Are you going to Google next? No, because I want to I make sure the, the song that I like out of it, that I, as a kid, was on the... Uh, what song what, is it? What album it is. Um, what song is it? Oh, it's on the it's on the um, you can't always get what you want album. That's let it bleed. That is let it bleed. Yep. So let it bleed is the uh, is the song. It has that really cool acoustic intro, um, and that was something I had when I first picked up a guitar. Um, yeah, it's clearly been a long day that I, I all I was thinking about was I said the Beatles. I was thinking of let it be, not let it bleed. But anyway, well, that's why they named the album that. Yeah. You know, like your point earlier, they were kind of the antithesis. In spite of being good friends, I mean, they would wait to release singles so that they didn't come into conflict with one another. But you know, uh, that album, Let It Bleed, is actually where Keith Richards invented the Open G tuning. Mm. Interesting. Uh, okay. It's, so, it's one of those more depressing points, though, isn't it? It's like one day these guys are going to be gone. It's like, yeah? dear God. Okay, so my question to you is, mm. would you recognize someone like that because i i know i would recognize mick jagger for sure but i don't i don't necessarily blame the people at that bar because it would be, have been so out of context that it would have been even if you were a diehard rolling stones fan and you could point out every original cast member it has to be weird because it, it's just, again, it's so out of context in terms of, like, that's never what you'd be looking for. Maybe if it was, like, London. I don't know. Just because you equate the two, British, uh, Mick Jagger, and, and you see a guy that looks like Mick Jagger, and it's like, oh, that... But North Carolina? I, I'm, I just... Be honest. Like, do you think you would have actually recognized him? Well, I couldn't swear by it. Um, I know coming from a place like New Orleans, I... I, I probably didn't notice it as a child, but as a teenager and in my 20s, 
I would see famous people and it, it just, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, yeah. we're talking about a, a town now where uh, Robert Plant was telling the story and I'm sure Dallas, Texas is very appreciative of this, but when Led Zeppelin in 73, the song remains the same, that same tour, they, uh, every night when they finished a gig in Texas, they would fly back to New Orleans because that was their favorite town to hang out in. And I can only speculate as to why, but huh. one of the reasons was that they said that sure people recognize us, but they left us alone. Yeah. You're, you're talking about a, a city with, with homes older than this country. So it, it's kind of a, anomalous in that sense. I mean, I, I stood next to Kim Kardashian and ordered a, a drink at a Saints game in 2006. And it was a brief nod, and I went about my way. She was still dating Reggie Bush at the time. So is that a is it, that's an inherently New Orleans thing, right? Where you just kind of the town's them. bigger than you. Yeah. The ta- New Orleans, you're talking about a town people in, in, in Russia and China want a vacation in. I mean, it, it's a hellhole, but it's my hellhole. Fair enough. It, it's it, the the town's bigger than. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, even Drew Brees isn't king. Fair enough. I mean, think about it. It's the Napoleon House. Great bar, by the way. Uh, the Pems Cup there is great. Anybody that goes there. But the Napoleon House is named such because after his uh, defeat at Waterloo, the plan for the Emperor of France was that he was going to be moved from St. Helena and would come to America, to New Orleans. Never happened, obviously, but there's a bus of Napoleon in the lobby. The Pam's Cup is great. Try it. Well, I, I certainly have had more than enough fun in New Orleans myself and hope to be back someday. <laughs> you too? Yeah, always. Um, okay, well, look, let's, let's pivot um, because I do want to get your perspective on where we think. Uh, and I know we, we talked about it a bit in the uh, last podcast episode and i don't necessarily want to bore people with with spending and all this stuff but i i am curious in terms of uh like a cultural awakening i i am i don't know how i feel about it but certainly at the for the first time in my lifetime it feels like the progressive left in america actually has more traction than they have in the past I'm not saying that they're somehow going to win. One of their candidates is going to be of the presidential Democratic presidential nominee in 2024. But it is seems like the first time in at least a long time that the progressive caucus in the in the House is seemingly throwing Nancy Pelosi for a bit of a loop. And I know that makes a lot of people happy. But it is certainly an interesting time for the Democratic Party, and I was just kind of curious. We didn't get to talk about it in precast, and so I do want to talk about it right now in terms of how you feel about it, and do you think... I'm not, I'm not, hey, look, I'm not here to talk crap about Senator Manchin. However, he does play a, a role in this entire thing, but... You want to talk about the Senator of the House? Well, we can talk about whatever we want. It's our podcast. But well, I, yeah, we can. I'm just so, I, so it's one or the other. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I'll I'll um 
it seems like he well, is he's finally why don't you open us up since <laughs> so you clearly you have know, something you know, on your S- mind senator manchin always he kind of triggers you a little bit because i know i'm not but just sure when I, me just when or i talk, he trigger you just just when i talk about him um are you but, sure he doesn't trigger you it doesn't trigger me man you, you're the one that got remember, all fired up there remember he's the thorn in your <laughs> side not mine i mean maybe anyway uh so i'm just curious what do you think what do you think about uh how does this play into the 2022 midterm i mean i think overwhelmingly one thing we can agree on is that i think most polls do show us that americans are overwhelmingly in favor of this infrastructure and reconciliation bill and in 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 the same thing in Manchin State, in a deep red state, a lot of these uh, social reform and physical infrastructure reform uh, and and projects are are highly favorable among Americans. Not all Americans, but a good number of them. So the question is: Is this the right direction? Like, is this what the American people truly want to see? And and I do think that. Most Americans do see a need for some sort of change or some sort of relief. And like you and I, I think we differ a little bit in how we get to that point. But realistically, I think most Americans are fairly on board with spending on American, average American people, right? The middle class has been sort of left behind over the last 30 years. It, It has. It's picked up the bill for most uh major things like in 2008 that was that was that was funded by the middle class and and you can't miss it in business school i mean it's a pretty obvious reason why we collapsed in 2008 and and the show sort of goes on so it's a long-winded way to say hey is it is america seeing this sort of cultural shift at the moment in terms of a more progressive agenda, or are we, are mansion and cinema a little less of a normality in terms of their sort of centrist approach in the Democratic Party, right? Because we always talked about the Democratic Party having this, like being very moderate, being very centric. But I don't know, It's it seems like maybe these two players, cinema and mansion, are they sort of a dying centrist breed, or are they not centrist at all? They're corporate Democrats. Like, what's what's the deal? What's going on? I mean, I, I would like to know what the actual question is because I think there were about eleven in there. Um, as as far as Senator Manchin is concerned, the reason I mean, you use the word triggered. The reason it annoys me is because the Republican Party gets criticized for not allowing any sort of dissent. Well. Kind of looks like throwing stones to me when Senator Joe Manchin says, hey, you know, I'm not really comfortable when we're at basically $29 trillion of debt. And I've made my case before I'm saying this about how how arrogant to forever depend upon U.S. Treasuries being the investment globally. How arrogant to think that the U.S. dollar is going to be forever mm-hmm. the currency of last resort. And that is the basis. I know you're sick of hearing it. That is the basis of how we're able to continue our system. Or none, 
period. Well, fair enough. So let me stop you right there and I'll let you keep going. Let's say that this plan had a way to pay for it so we didn't have to incur debt. And what would that be, Nate? I mean, it, it's part of the plan. There is a, there is a plan. So how, how do you feel about Dave, it? You, you realize, I mean, I know you're putting me on the spot here. You realize even that the Democratic Party has criticized this quote. It's paid for because it's not. Sure. But, but it, it, it's, it's paid for on paper. And this is the problem. I'm not criticizing the Democrats here specifically because the George W. Bush administration did this with the wars where, oh, that doesn't count against the balance sheet. Only the federal government could do that. So I, I'm, I'm not picking a side here in terms of uh, which part of the duopoly is worse. But that's a joke to say that it's paid for. It's not. Okay. Now, I'm in favor of, look, capital gains taxes have got to go up. We have to, to raise revenue. I already said my piece last week and uh, on a number of occasions about, oh, yes, you will. If you're going to operate under uh, the auspices of being an American corporation, then, yes, you will repatriate your tax revenue. I've already made that case. Okay. But the idea that this bill is paid for is laughable. It's, it's simply not true. I mean, it is more paid for than the last time we increased the debt, which would have been in 2017. I'm not talking about more paid for. What is more paid for? At least, so, so there is a plan to help pay for it. And I know you're saying it's laughable, and I agree that not all of it is going to be paid for. We've got a ton of interest that we have to pay as well. But my point is, it isn't just a plan to have to borrow for existing social programs while we lose potential revenue from taxing, like dropping the corporate tax rate to 21%, which I totally believe is, in theory and on paper, the competitive thing to do. What well, is, because a lot of people don't want to hear this, but this is the reality. And please fact check me, not just you, but our listeners. All right. We had, I'm not talking about with exemptions, et cetera. I'm talking on paper before the 2017 cuts had the highest G20 corporate tax rate in the world. Bar none, period. There's no debating that. 35% is not competitive. Okay, and I hearken back to Mitt Romney in 2012 because he made a great point. And this was then where we're bringing in nearly $4 trillion at the time of federal tax revenue and we can't pay our bills. We got a problem. And so that's where I come from. Yes, like everybody else here descended from a family of immigrants. I'm not being anti-immigrant, but I'm saying we need to think long and hard about our priorities, because like we said earlier about a completely different issue, if everything's priority one, nothing is. We cannot do this. We cannot be all things to all people, because America, as I've said before, will not fall from without. But it can fall from within. And I, I really hope we're not that arrogant mm -hmm. to think that, oh, well, that can't happen to us. You know, I'm sure the Brits and the Romans said that, too. Yeah. So and all these little programs that everybody cares about, it ain't going to matter how entitled you think you are 
how many storefronts you bust, how many sidewalks in Washington, D.C. you spray paint. When that goes down, you think the Federal Reserve's bad? Well, they just saved America's bacon the last year. You think they're bad? Well, guess what? Your little protests aren't going to mean a damn thing. When this, when the almighty dollar becomes worthless. So then uh, what, what, what's going So I think it's just coming out that at least Senator Manchin has, he, he, they, he, they were struggling to find out what, where that top line was. And it seems like the top line is, is about half of that. I think that's, that's what he could commit to. Um, I think it's too much, but at least he well, was willing to compromise. Which is fair. You, you think it's too much. It's just objectively, it's what he, he wants or would be okay with. Um, what? The next thing is like, what happens? Like, do the progressives actually play this awesome domestic geopolitical game and, and really hold out and bluff and not let anything get done? Um, I, I heard, the election. Listen, I personally believe you believe that I agree with you that it would be disastrous. Politically, it would be a disaster. And I get it. You want to help the people. Okay. So does every other side and every side in the progressives are going to go, Oh, but we're right. You don't think everybody else thinks that. And look, I, I have long praised. Have I not on this very same podcast, Senator Sanders, my brother-in-law who you met over the phone, but is progressive. His wife, my sister, progressive, nothing against their ideals. But one thing I will say that progressives lack, I'm sorry, nothing personal, but is fiscal sanity. Who is going to pay Representative Alessandra Ocasio-Cortez? Who is going to pay? You find laughable the question of why a $34 trillion increase for a program over 10 to 12 years. Why that's a question. And you went to economics, you, you went to economics class at Boston College, did you? How, how is that laughable? Mm. Like, are, are you high? Somebody's got to pay for that. And, and we've lived for years under both, both sides of the duopoly this is not me picking on her. I've been very respectful of her. I've actually defended her. You know this. Oh, it's, I'm, uh, I'm not being ad hominem. But we have lived for years of, oh, just punt the ball down the road. Okay, well, at some point, somebody's going to say, okay, whose grandkids are paying for this? I mean, it, America forever has this optimism, which I love. We can always come back and win. What if he can't? Okay, so what we want, we want to be like the Germans, was it the 20s when they were using the, the marks to uh, start fires with? Well, I certainly hope we don't get to that point here. Look, well, what I, point? I mean, think about this. When I was in high school, as you were about to enter high school, you're what, four years younger than me? Possibly. You're 34. I'm, okay, you're three years younger than me. But in high school speech and debate, the, the big thing was, oh, the national debt's about to hit $4 trillion. Well, now it's about to hit 29 or may have already. And the thing is, we have this idea, because again, because the Treasury bonds and the U.S. dollar, oh, we can just, as long as we can keep the debt to manageable levels, going, okay, with interest payments, 
hitting one trillion a year. And all the crises that we have right now. At what point do we see this as untenable? And I, I'm going to be, oh, he's beating a dead horse. He's, he's being negative. No, I'm not. I believe in this country. I love this country. And I love my progressive friends. I have nothing against progressives. Okay. I love my progressive family members. They're not the only ones that are uh, not necessarily, shall I say, in tune with what's going on fiscally. But I also look at the folks that had no problem with paying a trillion dollars for wars that nobody wants. So I, I, I by no means am picking on anyone. Well, no, it's, it is certainly the reality of, what is it? I mean, I think if, it, if Bernie Sanders had his way, he'd be looking at a $6 trillion um, infrastructure plan, both social and, and physical infrastructure. So it certainly has been parsed down. It certainly is a ton of money. Um, it's an astronomical, almost, un, uh, almost uncomprehendable amount of money. But, you know, I think, I think one thing at least you and I can agree with, it, and that is not necessarily talking about how we should consider and look at national debt from maybe a economic lens, but that there is a need for uh, there is a need for at least physical infrastructure updates. That's undeniable. I agree. But there is there is something to be said about the sort of, sort of uh, like social investment, right? And I don't. It's interesting how we can somehow uh, sort of maybe philosophically like detach ourselves from like when we see a road with a pothole in it, we can say that road needs to be fixed. It's very obvious. There's a hole in it. Um, when people drive over it, they pop their tires and it's costly. Um, and you can measure that cost from productivity you can measure that cost from you know maybe some sunk costs etc but it I, I i think that's very easy to do but i think it's it's interesting how we look at our fellow human and now all of a sudden it becomes a lot harder um to sort of swallow this pill that there are things that are broken in society that could be fixed the same way you fill a pothole you <laughs> you pay money to have that fixed, right? And I'm not saying that obviously dumping tons of cash into communities and into people's pockets fixes fixes people all the time. I'm not, I'm, I'm 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 trying to stay realistic here. But I think I think both you and I can acknowledge also that there is you know I think there is a time and place to help humans and and to invest in social programs and invest I'm not opposed to that but the thing is is that all of that costs money and i think it's easier to look at the pothole and say that pothole needs fixed because the pothole is not going to fix itself but it's really easy to look at a human or a cult or a or a demographic or a community and say well you're human you have you have some people believe in free will you can fix yourself the pothole is not going to fix itself you can fix itself and you shouldn't you know maybe get that advantage from the government or it should, you know, someone else shouldn't pay for you to somehow better yourself. 
And I, I get that. But, you know, I think people look at progressives as this, this march to sort of communism or this, this. Not what thing. I said. I know you didn't say that, but that's a, that's a link that people make. But really, at least what they're trying to do right now is to fix those sort of potholes in society. Uh, there are certain cultural things that I think are certainly due to a lot of middle class working Americans. I'm not but saying you're wrong here. I, I realize, yeah. but it's, I'm just trying to point out the the way we the way we can all be so on board for for certain things, but then we sort of move it over into spending on humans, and it becomes this huge issue, or it's a huge problem, or it's we shouldn't do it. And I think that's it's it's actually pretty telling. Yeah. I mean, for one thing, we have we have great need for rhetoricians, people that are actually able to communicate messages. And we have turned politics into such a blood sport that per the book of Proverbs, you see the results here. When good men and women leave, the wicked prevail. So this is what you get, America. You've got these folks in D.C., the other thing is, again, per Master Sheikh of Aquatine Hunger Force Renown, you can't open up a what candy a store and be a scientist in an animal trainer school and sell burgers out the back. None of the ideals that you've mentioned are wrong. This is where I differ with progressives. And if I sounded insulting towards them, I respect Senator Sanders. His office was nothing but nice to me when I was back in the D.C. metro area. Great respect. And I respect a man, I've said this a multitude of times, I respect a man that, or woman who does not change their positions in five decades when most politicians can't be relied upon to not change theirs within five months. Okay. But with that, it is untenable to say, okay, so we're going to fund this bill. We're going to pay, we're, we're not going to focus on the fact that most people are like you and I parents, Nate, that are landlords. We're not, you know, the funds are there. Oh, give me a break. If the Fed wants to make it happen, then make it happen. We're going to do that. We're going to do infrastructure. We're going to, we're going to pay for this. I mean, let's, we didn't intend to read the spending bill here, but you see what I'm getting at. There's all these priorities. Oh, and we're not going to use my idea, by the way, of selling any of the four plus trillion dollars worth of federal lands we own. Now we've got to keep that for America's heritage. That heritage is not going to mean a whole lot when this whole thing collapses. And I'm telling you, I'm going to sound like a loon until the day it happens. Until the day it happens. And then I'm not going to say I told you so. Uh, we, because I'm, I'm going to weep as hard as anybody because I love this uh, country. And who knows but what that everything day like. cannot be priority one, Nate. Fair enough. So, what do we do? I mean, if you if you had it your way, what would you split it up over? You know, the four years of of being it. I mean, is it more palatable that way? Do are people's memories shorter where you can get more people on board? I mean, certainly Mansion's memory is not going to be. Uh, he's not going to lose that memory. He'll remember that. So it's like, what do you do? Do you do it in two years, or do you just try to go for it? I don't know. I mean, it's their agenda. But I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what the question is. That's not really a question. I'm just saying, I, I, I would, would, it, 
would it work better to do it in two years? Um, well, I'm talking about my love for the country, not what would work politically. Frankly, this is not going to work politically. Something will get done. It's not going to save the House for Pelosi. You heard it here. Well, I don't think and, your, I don't think your predictions for 2022 are that far off. I would. I mean, I, the Senate. There's so many Republicans retiring at this point from the Senate. It could go either way. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Republicans gain it by one seat. But I mean, short of something unforeseen, I don't know that it would be greater than that. But the House, I, again, it's a long time between now and midterms, but I would truly be flabbergasted. And I'm not talking because of historical norms. I'm talking just because I'm sorry, for better or for worse, you can like it or not. Main Street does not agree with some of the ideals that are coming down from the, uh, the gavel. And it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm putting my money where my mouth is via uh, predicted.org. Fair enough. Well, I'm looking forward to, to, to be able to start that again. So, well, look, man, hey, we've been running for 45 minutes. I got to be up at 3.30, which is like a couple hours. I know you got to be up early. Detroit City. Yeah. Well, I got to go into work for first. Uh, good, good debacle there tonight. So I got to be back first thing, but. You look, you salvaged a flood. I saved a kitten. Look at me. It was a great day at work. What? And and we still, on the next podcast, I have to talk about um, they recovered my stolen truck that was stolen in July. Um, they recovered it Tuesday morning at about 530 in the morning. What? Yeah, dude. Yeah. What truck? Uh, I had an old, like, green farm truck that got stolen. And, Where? Uh, just out of the, just outside the house. And uh, I I thought for sure they stripped it out and, but no dude they found it so that's a story, uh for another podcast, but as always, it's an honor and a privilege to do this week in and week out with you. Uh, I'm glad we got to do this before I head back um, to to visit and be with the family. Um, it'll make me feel better that we got something out to the listeners and just yeah, to get to have a conversation with you. So, um, as always, my friend. Until next time, au revoir. We'll see ya.